Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Kirk Bodie. I uh, work with the pastors and the preaching, we call the preaching team. We meet every Tuesday and review sermons and plan series and review uh, sermons that are to come. Um, so I'm always, it's always a great opportunity to, for me as part of the team, I don't speak regularly, but to speak uh, and dive into God's Word. So let's, let's bow for prayer and then we'll get going here. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for another new day that we can celebrate. And God, I pray today as we open the Scripture, as we open your Word to us, uh, that we would take heart, take heed to what's in there that if there's change called for, that we would hear that clearly. So God, I pray for your spirit to really fill this room here today and touch our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things I really enjoy speaking up here is this lighting system is fantastic. I don't have to wear my cheater glasses up here. That's how good the light is. So uh, it's wonderful. Um, okay, we're in a series um, that we're going through the Gospel of Mark. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the second one. Mark is the shortest one. And if you have a chance to read the book of Mark, what you'll find is that Mark's very brief in what he talks about, and he's very, uh, he uses hyperboles, exaggerations, and everything happens very quickly. Uh, we're going to see here today. He says, at once this happened. Then they went ahead and did this right away. Um, and he kind of rushes through things uh, in the book of Mark. So, but we're looking at the book of Mark with an eye toward discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? Um, because we've talked uh, in the past recently about the church at large, and perhaps even our church, is what we've labeled as discipleship deficient. Are we raising up true disciples of Jesus Christ, wholehearted followers of Jesus. Is, that, is the church doing that? Is our church doing that? Or are we deficient in doing that? And a renewed emphasis on what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how do we get there. So last week, we talked about at the end of Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. That's the gospel. Repent and believe the good news, because the time is now. And we reviewed the discipleship process. The, the definition uh, that we were using for discipleship is from a man named Dallas Willard, and he writes this, discipleship is the intentional process of becoming like Jesus. Pretty simple. It's being with him to learn from him how to live like him, as if he were me. So that's the definition that we're work, working from. And then we used a, this triangle diagram, um, the word, works, and way. And I think you can see it up here is the, the, the concept of the word, that's the scripture, the, the word, the Bible. We need to have, part of the discipleship process is having a firm grasp on God's word, on the Bible. But it's more than that. It plays itself out in behavior, in works. That's the behavior part. Knowledge is important. Behavior is important. And those two things go hand in hand, but one of the problems with discipleship, as we often see it, is we limit it to those two things. 
that's hence that line across there is we sometimes have knowledge and we have behavior, but we don't have transformation that takes deep inside us, changing our character, changing our heart. We can change our mind, but to change your heart is something else. So all three of these components are needed. We need to know, have a firm grasp on God's Word. We need to behave as godly people. But we also need to be inwardly changed. So today's text, we're going to talk in Mark chapter 1. We're going to cover a rather large section, 16 to 45. So if you can follow along in your Bible, or the passages will be up here on the screens. Um, kind of the big idea is that Jesus calls the disciples back then, and he calls us today to follow him in ministry, to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, see what he did, see how he acts, see what he taught, and change our lives accordingly. So we're going to go through this text in Mark chapter 1. We're going to go through it by sections, make some comments, and then we'll, we'll finish with some lessons overall that we can t take away. So here's the first section where Jesus calls the disciples. Here it is. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, which is Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So here we have where Jesus calls his early disciples, the first four of the twelve. Now, it's important to understand back then the concept of the rabbi. Jesus, there's other parts in the scripture where they call Jesus rabbi because back then there were rabbis around and about, and they were teachers, and essentially what they were is uh, they would teach, they would learn, and they would have followers that would follow them around. John the Baptist was a rabbi. He had followers that followed him around. Hillel and some other people were known rabbis of the day, and they would teach. And the followers would follow them. They would learn from them. They would Im Im imitate them. And as a matter of fact, they would follow the rabbi so closely that they would refer to disciples of a rabbi as being covered in the dust of the rabbi. What's unusual about Jesus here is that he calls his disciples. The model back then for a rabbi would be people would apply to a certain rabbi. They would apply like you would apply to a college. They would apply to be a, to be a follower, a student, or disciple of a rabbi. And then ultimately, the rabbi would choose among people who applied. Well, here, these guys are just out fishing, and Jesus just comes to them and said, follow me. He just points to them, and he chooses his followers. They didn't choose him. He chose them. So it's really beyond what we're talking about here today, but what, why did Jesus choose these fishermen? They're fishermen. They're not seminary-educated students. They're not extraordinarily wealthy or powerful or people of influence. They're just fishermen. And, but I think we can see it because the first one he calls is Peter, Simon, and Jesus has the ability to see a person's potential. And that's good for us today because Jesus calls us to be his disciples. He sees in us what we don't even see in ourselves. He sees what we can be with the power of God working through us. That's what he saw in Peter and James and John. 
But Jesus also mentions here the purpose of being a disciple. Not just to follow Jesus, but it says this. First, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's two things. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what disciples do. They become fishers of men. Later on, we, in the book of Luke, Jesus says that he called the twelve for this reason, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to be with Jesus. But being with Jesus is one thing, but also to step out into a mission. So these four guys at the beginning of our passage here today, they respond, and it says, it says at once they left their nets. Matter of fact, the, without delay, the last two guys left their father sitting in the boat with the hired servants or the hired people in the boat, and they just left. I'm sure that Zebedee's going, hey, guys, where in the world are you going? Um, But what we see is how radical it is to be a follower of Jesus, what a priority it is to follow Jesus, how important it is, the urgency of being a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we sometimes have lost today is the urgency and the priority of really following Jesus wholeheartedly. So what is the appropriate response to following Jesus? First of all, what it's not, it's not just one slice of the pie or a casual endeavor. Uh, It's not half-hearted. Following Jesus should not be in the middle of our priority list where we're kind of half-hearted, Uh, followers. You don't follow Jesus when you've got everything figured out. Jesus is not for the elite, the the academics, the theologians of the day. If that were the case, he would have never called these four guys. They weren't theologians. They were plain, ordinary people, people like us. But what what is discipleship? It's a priority. It's more than, in these guys we see it, Following Jesus was more important than their business, than their occupation. That's how important it was. At once, they left everything. They didn't go home and deliberate and plan and strategize and put the pros and cons together. They were compelled to do it urgently. It should be for us the same, the central purpose of our life. What really is important in life is being a follower of Jesus, to be all in. Now, the next section. Here's where Jesus begins his ministry with starting out with these four guys. It says this. They came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. So news about him, Jesus, spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon, that's Peter, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. 
That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. There's a hyperbole, an exaggeration there. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So in this passage, we have Jesus inaugurating or bringing into the kingdom of God. He teaches with authority. Not like anybody else. He teaches with authority. He shows them God's way. He is God, and he's showing them God's way. He has the authority of God. He casts out demons. So clearly spiritual warfare. It's a battle with Satan that Jesus regularly encounters because he knows Satan has a grip on people's hearts and the world needs to be freed from the grip of Satan. But Jesus also heals diseases. He's a compassionate, loving person. He loves, he restores life, and he restores health. But in this passage, we find the reaction of the people is very interesting because they're like, who is this guy? Uh, remember later on, it's like the, the, they're in the boat and the, the storm goes away and says, who is this guy? Even the winds and waves listen to this guy. It's amazing. So Jesus suddenly has become the talk of the town. He's famous. Everybody's abuzz about Jesus. Who is this guy? And even says, the whole city was gathered at the door. And that's another, that's an exaggeration, but it's Mark saying that everybody was talking about Jesus. Everybody was looking for this guy. But they were looking for Jesus really for the wrong reasons. They were looking for Jesus because he could heal them. He could help their needs that they felt in their life. They weren't looking for Jesus because they needed salvation or they needed eternal life. They were looking for Jesus for selfish reasons so that they could become healed, that their life would be a little bit better. So Jesus is riding this incredible wave of popularity. He's famous. And you can see where with his followers it would be tempting to just stay right there. You know, Bill, let's build a megachurch here, Jesus. You gotta, you could, we could really do something with all these people who are clamoring to see you. But then we come in the next passage to a critical moment, I think is one of the most critical moments in the life and the teachings and ministry of Jesus. So let's read on here. Jesus here refocuses. It says this in verse 35. After the whole city is gathered at the door, it says this. Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they, when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. Then here's the key sentence, That is why I have come. He said, Let's go to the other villages so I can preach that's why I have come. So a couple of quick points on this particular passage, because we're going to come back to it later, is it's interesting. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. And he goes off. He found it necessary to talk to his Father, God. He, and he went alone to a solitary place. And you wonder what he prayed about. We don't know what he prayed about. We don't have, we don't have that in our Bibles. But Jesus found it necessary to get alone with God. And there's something for us in that that we need to take away. We don't know what he prayed about, but we know that when he was done praying, 
Something changed. Something happened when he's at the solitary place talking to God. Something happened to where he comes back, and then when he finds out that the whole town is, wants to, is at the door, wants to talk to him, wants to be healed, everybody's looking for him because they want healing, Jesus says, we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to change. We're going to go somewhere else. So clearly, he heard from God. Now, what's, what's a little bit perplexing about this is that what about all those people who didn't get healed? It's, it's, think about them. They were waiting for Jesus to come down so they could get healed, and he went somewhere else. But it's an important side note to meet as well that hearing from God and let God speak into your life to give you direction as to what to do. Is there anything in your life right now that you want to hear from God about? Is there something in your life that you need to hear from God to get direction, encouragement, advice, wisdom, whatever it might be? Now, you've got to be careful about formulas in the Bible, but we could take the example of Jesus here and what he did. He got away, alone. He went to a solitary, or one of the other translations says, he went to a desolate place. I like that better because sometimes you go to a solitary place, there's distractions. A desolate place, there's no distractions. There's nothing going on. But Jesus alone got away to a desolate place, and he talked to God. He prayed. And then he listened because something changed up there where he changed the focus of what he was doing. And maybe that's what we need to do. By the way, that's in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's the purpose. Pause. Get away from the busyness of life. Hear from God. Get alone. Hear from God. See what God has to say. Listen carefully. The disciples come to him, and they rebuke him. They rebuke Jesus. They say, hey, everybody's looking for you. What in the world are you doing? And then that's where Jesus says, let's go somewhere else so I can preach. Because that is why I have come. And you say, what? But this is nothing, Jesus realized this is nothing other than an attempt by Satan to get him off mission, to get him distracted, to get him off focus. That's what, if you look at the whole Bible, you see throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Satan is constantly trying to get God's purpose thwarted whether it's the snake in the garden or whether it's the guys when they're building the wall with Nehemiah or whether it's in the garden of Gethsemane, Satan does not want God's plan to go through. And here, I see this good stuff being healing as really an attempt to get Jesus off mission. Jesus saw what it was, an attempt to get him distracted, to get him from doing what his real purpose was. That was to preach the good news. So our last section, Jesus gets back on mission. So after he refocuses, he comes down from the solitary place and he reclaims his mission. So here's what it says then. It says, so then he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then we have another distraction. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, can you make me clean? But here we learn about Jesus. It says, Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. Huge. We don't have time to go into it, but he touches the man with leprosy. That's Jesus. I'm willing, Jesus said. Be clean. Immediately the, leper, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, the man went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The crest of popularity presses onto Jesus to try to get him off mission. So here we have Jesus gets off mission, but he's filled with compassion. That's why the healing is important. Jesus doesn't say, I'm never going to heal anybody again, but this is the kind of God and Jesus we have. He's filled with compassion. He cares about people. He loves people. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks as we go through the book of Mark here, that Jesus puts people ahead of traditions, ahead of the status quo, ahead of the rules, and he battles the Pharisees because they're so stuck on rules and regulations that they miss people. Jesus loves people. So some takeaways. I think i got five or six of them here. First of all, where are you at in being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is it a priority to you, or is it not a priority? Are you too busy? Um, Remember, being a disciple is being with him to learn from him how to live like him. The disciples here, it says, at once they left their nets. To them it was a priority. Our concern is that in modern Christianity, it's kind of like a hobby or an optional deal. I'll be a half-hearted, part-time Christian. These guys showed their willingness to make a total commitment above everything else as disciples of Jesus. So the question for all of us is, where are you at on this journey? Is your, is your, is your spiritual maturity greater today than it was a month ago or a year ago? Are you, are you growing in being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because the second point is this, <clears throat> an enemy of this discipleship process is getting off focus. That's what Jesus encountered here when he got away. See, we have a problem of staying focused. Many of us have unfulfilled dreams and goals because we got off task. We have regrets over unfinished matters. Maybe your education, you look back and think, I got off track and I lost my priorities. I got uh, off, off mission and I didn't finish my education or my training or I didn't develop my career. Some of us have regrets over the failure to prioritize important things, like your marriage. And you look back and think, I should have given more attention to my marriage. I should have given more attention to my children. Uh, I put other things ahead of my family, and that wasn't good. I wish I could go back. And the enemy of what our triangle, the word, works, and way, the triangle, is really a matter of priorities. Is it a priority to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We need to stay focused and not get sidetracked by distractions that really aren't important. We need to keep focusing on what really is important. Jesus battled it. It's nice to know Jesus battled staying on focus, staying on mission. Uh, That's why he went and got away and got recalibrated. Because Satan does not want us to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. And the primary tool that he uses is to distract us. That's what he did with Jesus. That's what he did when he, Jesus was out in the desert being tempted. Galatians 5, 7 says this, 
You were running such a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? There's many of us here today that it's like, I used to be much more of a follower of Jesus, but something happened. I got off task. Paul here says in Galatians, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Let me introduce or re refresh you with a, a concept called tyranny of the urgent. Tyranny of the urgent. And here's what that means. <clears throat> we tend to focus on urgent, pressing matters. And we lose sight. And we delay attention to more important matters. So the difference between what is urgent and what is important. Because urgent things take our time. If you've ever, if you've ever done a to-do list, you know that the immediate things take up all your time and the, the important things get pushed down your to-do list all the time. And sometimes we need to recalibrate and focus on not what's urgent, but what is important in life. Remember Mary and the story of Martha and Mary in the Bible. Jesus comes to their house and Martha's so busy cleaning and cooking and doing all the housework and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and, Mary, and Martha says, hey Mary, why don't you help out here uh, and Jesus commends Mary for sitting at his feet and rebukes Martha for being too busy. He says, Martha, you're distracted. You, the better thing would be to sit and learn from me right now because Martha was distracted. The urgent, the tyranny of the urgent came upon her. See, our life and our time becomes tyrannized, ruled by the busyness of life because life goes by fast. We all know that and we neglect the more important things of life. Maybe some of you say, I can't commit to an accountability group because I'm just too busy. Or my life is too hectic. With all those things going on, I can't join a small group. Maybe when things settle down a little. Or the time for ladies' Bible study or the men's Bible study is just not a convenient time for me. Or maybe you say, gee, when my kids are older, I'll get more involved. I'll focus on my relationship with God. I'll become a better disciple. Or when the sports season is over, as soon as the uh, baseball season is over. Or maybe when things at work <clears throat> slow down a little bit, then I'll give it attention. We have lots of excuses. And maybe I'd like to host a small group or I'd like to help with the children's ministry, but, you know, I've done that. And children are energized and I'm tired and children are messy, and they're going to wreck my home if I have them in my home, and things like that. But you know something? If you look at what is important, you know what matters to God? Children matter to God. How do I know that? Because Luke 18 is where Jesus is preaching, or he's teaching his disciples, and it says this, it says, people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. The disciples saw that and they rebuked Jesus. And they rebuked the mothers for bringing their children to Jesus. But Jesus called the children to him. And he interrupted his, whatever he was doing, teaching, teaching, whatever. He interrupted it and he says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for this is the kingdom of God. So children are one thing that really matters to God. Grandchildren, those are, you know, it's, it's easy for your own children or grandchildren. Uh, my wife and I host a small group, 
And a couple of weeks ago, we had six or seven boys, age seven and under, in my house. Um, I don't have to say anything else. Um, but the greatest danger is letting urgent things getting away of what's important. I have to keep telling myself, now wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, what's priority here? What's important here? Okay? The fact that the carpet might take a beating, is that more important than p- people feeling welcome in my home and ministry taking place in my home? Or if something gets broken, um, is that more important than lives being changed? Um, so, good, here's a funny phrase, a different phrase. Good is the enemy of best. Things that are good. Healing people was good. Jesus healed people. That's good. But at that particular point in his ministry, it became the enemy of what is better. Sometimes good things can edge out the better things. So we need to focus on what's really important, and that requires constant reflection, getting away, and focusing on that. Don't finish your life with regrets of what could have happened had you given the right priority to something. So the third thing I have is this. How do you get focus on what really matters and stay on focus? For today, it's pretty easy. Follow the example of Jesus. It says, early in the morning while it was still dark. So that means you've got to get up early while it's still dark, I guess. That's a formula. Formulas don't apply. But Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a desolate place, and he prayed. Life is very busy, but there's a time when we need to pause and reflect and ask God to change us where it might need to be changed. So maybe this is a time in your life where you need to pause from the busyness of life. As life races onward, you need to get away and do what Jesus did. You know, we we did this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and right out of the box, God impressed upon me to make some changes in ministry. Now, those of you that know me, change is not a... It's kind of a dirty word for me, okay? I mean, I don't change anything. I park in the same spot when I go to Walmart or when I go to the baseball game, I park in the same spot all the time. When I go out to eat, I get the same thing all the time. Barb's the same way. And so God impressed on me to make a change so that it can only be from God. And he impressed on her the same change. That, and, and she's as bad as I am about doing the same thing over and over again. So change is hard, but God took that time of reflection to recalibrate me and her, and refocus a little bit on doing something different that might be called for. So in the discipleship process, there's three groups. First group is this. They've ne- those that have never been discipled, and they've been putting it off, just kind of hanging on, putting it off due to a lack of focus or busyness or distractions. The admonition for that group is Make it a priority. Get involved in discipleship. You are never too young. You're never too old. You're never too busy. Discipleship is a priority. Ask the four guys who follow Jesus. The second group is this. Those who were once involved in a discipleship process, but for some reason or another, distractions, busyness, something came up in your life, and you kind of got off to the side a little bit. Um, The admonition is get along with God Get focus. 
get back on that horse and get involved in a discipleship process. And the third group, those who might be ready to start or have been involved in discipleship process. And sometimes it's weary. Sometimes you get tired. But the admonition is, don't go weary. What you're doing is good. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's an encouragement to me. Sometimes I get weary. Sometimes we all get weary. Don't quit. So lastly, here's the challenge. Where are you at in the discipleship process? What do you need to change in the discipleship process to go to the next level? Lots of excuses out there. Many about good things in your life. But remember, what's important? Don't get tyrannized by urgent things that crowd out the important things. Focus on God. Make it a point to spend time with God. Get alone, solitary place. Get alone and say, God, can you instruct me what I need to do? What am I doing wrong? Where do I need to go? Get your spiritual batteries charged. Get energized. Jesus left that time of solitary. He was energized. He was charged up. His compass got recalibrated a little bit. He was refocused. He was focusing on his mission, and out he went. We need to be doing the same thing. And then be accountable to somebody. That's a hard word these days. Be accountable to where you, uh, we, you're asking someone to speak into your life. Things just don't happen. You need to make it happen uh, sometimes and ask somebody to hold you to account. So take the example of Jesus about getting focused in your life or getting refocused in your life. Spend some time this next week, maybe today, Get alone. Might be for 10 minutes, might be for four hours. Get alone and ask God to give you that energy to recalibration and refocus so that you can move forward in the discipleship process and follow the example of the rabbi, Jesus. Let's pray.